if I was in a place in my life where I couldn't turn this into a business, which is still terrifying <laughs> and so very hard, um, I would still probably be drawing things at 2 a.m. Um, you know, for nobody to see, for no one to enjoy but me. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Book, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art in the creative process. I'm the host and creator, Aroneth, and today is the second part of a two-part episode with artist Baylin Harris. If you haven't heard part one yet, please listen to last week's episode, as this part is a direct continuation of the conversation. Thank you very much. Baylin's art blends history and humanity, exploring the way in which past civilizations have used mark-making to record and document their existence throughout time. So a lot of the work seems to have like a, a sense of mythology. And I'm kind of curious, like, do you, like, is that deliberate? And do you want to create work that is universal or like that it has ties to history? 100%. Um, <laughs> so um, outside of being a visual artist, I really, really, really love archaeology. Um, oh, wow. I, you know, if if I wasn't an artist, I think my other, um, not very lucrative career path was going to be archaeology of some kind because I just, you know, I cannot get enough of rediscovering the past um, in, in so many ways, things like, um, you know, like historical sewing. I love practicing, you know, real techniques from the last several centuries, um, you know, uh, handmade pottery and things like that. Like it, it feels more real um, when you understand the past, when you delve into history, because um, humanity changes quite a bit, but our needs do not. So, you know, in viewing these, you know, things like mythological creatures and ridiculous illustrations of them, have you seen a unicorn? It looked like a deformed rhino, but they called it a unicorn. But that historical context, that historical, that that old lens of viewing something just kind of lends it a certain magic, um, a little bit of time travel. And I, I really, really love that because I think appreciating humanity existing in a society and trying to trying to filter and absorb everything that's thrown at us every day um, is a lot easier when you understand the past, mm-hmm. you know, I, especially the last few years, I had so many friends and family who would tell me, you know, X, Y, Z crazy thing just happened, or, you know, they're doing this over here. Isn't it terrible? And, you know, the world's ending. And I'm like, do you have any idea how many times the world has ended? Yeah. I'm really not impressed right now. And so, Pulling from mythology and um, and history and and old ideas of things, old concepts is is comforting because it's universal, and I want that comfort. You know, it's the same reason that everybody's dressing in um, cottage core and night core and yeah. all this fantasy stuff because it's very comforting. Um, we return to the past in order to face the future, and yeah. I don't think there's Perfect. anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, because obviously we have like nowadays, especially just in just in culture nowadays, generally we have such a wave of nostalgia, mm-hmm. such a wave of nostalgia. Particularly if you're like a '90s kid, 
like I am yeah. like there's just so much like there's so much kind of 90s culture flying around now and I'm like mm-hmm. I remember this you know like 20 years ago so so yeah, it's wild kids are like wearing platforms and jean skirts and I'm yeah. like slow down <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like okay but hey it's why mm-hmm. I mean everything comes around though doesn't it that's the thing yeah, so, yeah, it's it's a cycle of a certain number of years that I can't remember now. But... I think it's like, it's like seven or something like that, like every seven years or something like that. I don't know, but it's it's interesting because it's like I always like to see how people modernize something old, and like because yeah. obviously because because even if like '90s stuff comes back, it's never fully '90s how it was because obviously the, the times are been so different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's '90s but with 2023 mixed into it, and it's like mm-hmm. it becomes it's almost it's almost like a parallel universe 90s because it's yes. not it's, it's kind of interesting <laughs> even just stuff like in music nowadays where we have a huge kind of craze of like house influence everywhere and like house disco and um like synth wave everywhere and literally every song you hear nowadays and it's like it's cool but where's the future <laughs> you know we're yeah. in 2023 you know wh- where's the next wave of music coming from um but i don't know um no, and, that, get... and that that is a no, thought no, no, that no, I've no. had. So no, continue. Uh, no, continue. <laughs> I was like, that's just a random aside. Yeah, that's cool. No, no, but the thing is, it's not random at all because you know, in in um, along the same lines of thinking, using something from the past in a brand new modern context, hmm. is it new? Is it is it different? Is it really a new creation? Um, yeah. you know, like using the example of historical sewing like i'm using techniques from the 18th century to just make a dress normal dress but the hand sewing technique in a modern context is a brand new creation and so i i really hope that what i'm doing with the the kind of cephali the the werewolves it it translates into something new without being something old because that is that is a quiet fear is am I making something new is what I'm doing you know is it just a vehicle for my experience my emotions my process or is it um legitimate on its own in a brand new context so yeah (laughs) that's that's an interesting thought because my next question for you is like do you consider work to be a form of escapism for yourself and or your audience I can't speak for my audience it might be I'm not really sure. I've had a lot of people come up to me and um, some some of the most meaningful comments I've gotten on it have been something along the lines of, um, you know, I just I just really felt this illustration, which is awesome. That's what I want. Um, but I don't see that as a form of escapism. I see that as a, sort of a grounding experience. Um, this is a terrible but very effective example. It's like if you stub your toe, yeah. you're very aware of your body in that moment. And so when people get this, you know, I and I, I know I've never had anybody say, oh, my gosh, it's a werewolf. It's so ugly. Or, you know, that's so overwhelming. Where are their clothes? Mm-hmm. Nobody has said that to me yet. So I, I like to think that the shock of the imagery and the the gut reaction that it produces um I think I think that's the meat of it. I think that's where it's at. And so it doesn't feel like escapism. It feels more like being uh, forced into the present, which is what happens when I create it. For me personally, I I don't really draw anything 
unless I'm having a reaction to something, um, you know, call it emotional allergies. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> uh, if I see a phrase that evokes a memory, um, I hear a song with a very specific lyric to it. It usually takes me somewhere else. I have an idea. Um, it's it's transportive, but not escapism. It's how does this make me? How does this make me feel uh, to sit on the therapist's couch? Um, how does this make me feel in the present moment? You know, um, am I am I furious? Am I frustrated? Am I sad? Am I grieving? All of these very visceral, very sudden emotions. Because um, like I've always had big feelings. I I cry about trees and things like that. Yeah. I I cannot help it because. <laughs> Um, existence is huge. Existence is an emotional experience. Um, and so giving myself the opportunity to explore that brings me way more into the present than I otherwise would be being overwhelmed by what I feel or what I'm experiencing. So, yeah, I think it's more of a grounding thing than it is escapism. Yeah, that's actually really nice because that's not necessarily what I would have thought from looking at your work. And it's kind of interesting because to me, when I saw your work, I was like, this is very different. I was like, this is so different from a lot of things I see. And I'm like, obviously, it made me very curious, hence me asking you to do an interview. But like, that's the interesting thing about your work is that it does actually spark curiosity because you're like, but why? Okay. I was to ask you about the titles of your work. So you have some titles here that I wrote down. So Broken mm -hmm. Trust, Too Good, Sing the Painful Song, and Holding. Like, where did you get the titles of your work from? And how important are words in relation to your imagery? So um, I always pull the words, I get the word, the title before I do the illustration. Oh wow. Um, because I That's cool. I'll see I'll see a I'll see a phrase, I'll read a poem or um you know be sort of perusing somebody else's musings and I I really like words. The in a past life I was a writer. I wanted to be a writer at one point because um I just I I again a certain universal tool for expression. Um, everybody, most everybody understands, you know, English, all of English, at least to a certain extent. Even if you don't speak English, you can see certain words in English. And because it's so ubiquitous, people recognize it. So, like Coca Cola. It's what? Like Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I am. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have a visceral reaction to a word or a phrase that means something to me because of something else from the past. Um, I have really strong associations with um, music, different kinds of music, because there's really not a genre that I, I wasn't introduced to first. Um, there, there isn't, you know, I've, I've there, I've got a, a preconceived idea. Um, a notion of a flavor that comes with something already. And so when I have a reaction to it, um, my favorite thing is to sit down and just follow my nose. Um, so like with the, which one? Um, so for example, like sing the painful song. So, and this is, this is a whole lot of ancient history that, you know, it doesn't mean anything to anybody but me, which is why it became a title. But 
Um, so to make a long story short, my parents divorced very recently, like last year. And, you know, one of those relationships where, you know, they got married and, you know, wanted to make it work, but it was never a healthy relationship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like cast blame because it's a relationship. It's two people usually making mistakes together and exacerbating them together. So, you know, that finally happened. And so a lot of the words that have an effect on me or the phrases that, I ha that have an effect on me are related to me processing that massive change. Um, you know, because it's, it's the dissolution of a relationship that made me, made all of me down to my physical self and influence who I am as a person and the things that I like. And I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous knotted ball of spaghetti. Um, but like listening to an oldies playlist, because my, my parents were very much into oldies music. They were both DJs together at the same radio station for a little while. And so I grew up listening to cassettes with um, like, you know, 60s pop on it and um, classic rock and roll singer songwriter stuff. And so I was listening to this oldies playlist. Uh, asking myself, do I really want to keep listening to this? Because it's really upsetting, <laughs> you know, because I associate all of this music with my parents, with people who I, I just endlessly adore. I, I love them so much uh, and I miss them. And so in, in you know, that, that absence and that heightened emotional state, I ended up picking out songs that I felt sort of represented our little triad, our little teeny tiny nuclear family. Um, so I picked a song for each of us, wrote them down on the back of this piece of paper and did a wolf to go with what I was feeling to just sort of face um, this really uncomfortable emotional process to face the hurt, to face the disappointment, all that good stuff. Um, and so to sort of synthesize it together into a title on the front of the page, I picked that, Sing the Painful Song, because as much as I love this music, as universally loved as it is, these are really old songs. Um, it still hurts. So, but you sing it anyway because it's beautiful. So, they're all every title is 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 like that. You know, it's yeah. this weird rabbit trail of I felt this. I had to put it down on paper. If I didn't put it down on paper, I was probably going to keep crying for three days. And I don't like crying. I'm just a crier. Yeah. <laughs> It's a terrible hobby. I don't I, I don't recommend it. Um, so, yeah, the titles usually are born out of needing to put a label on things. You know, you pack up somebody's old belongings in a box and you put it in the attic, but you label it. Because you want to know what's in there. You want to know what it's about without necessarily having to reopen it. So, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a nice way to put it, but also it's kind of interesting how something that is very unrelated to werewolves can actually mm -hmm. really inspire or like just kind of things in the outside world can inspire you to to have thoughts feelings and emotions that then generate the work as opposed mm -hmm. to just being like oh this is like a nice word or oh this is like there's a reason for that phrase to exist in the way in which it exists for you or like to have those feelings for you and then from that you create a piece of work which or in, in turn would exist for someone else in a certain way how they're feeling towards that it's like uh it's like a, an emotional what i'm thinking of emotional chain i guess 
Mm. I thought that was a terrible analogy. Um, <laughs> I can't think of a better one off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. It's like I like emotional hopscotch. You just go down the line. Um, yeah, yeah. You you take turns and your um your rhythm is going to be different with each hop yeah. compared to the person yeah. in front of you. Yeah. See, that, I love I love perfect. Bounce it off like it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want to get into a bit about your creative process. So like. What is your creative process like? And are, are there any particular routines that help you focus on your work? Um, let's see. It's it's pretty sporadic, honestly. If, you know, I see a phrase or I hear a song or somebody says something to me that I really like, um, it just kind of happens. Hmm. Uh, there's not really, um, there's not a nice regimented, predictable pattern Um like, uh, let's see, beginning of the summer, I was churning out six by eight illustrations multiples a week. Like I would do an illustration a day. Um, wow. It was just a, a very rich time period, which, you know, when that happens, you take advantage of it and you just throw all the other responsibilities out the window, hmm. um, which can be good or bad. Um, but if it means that I'm producing work, I just kind of follow my nose. And it usually ends up really really great because i i follow kind of my gut instinct like what feels good that day can i pump out three pieces in an afternoon then i'm going to do that am i am i miserable and absolutely drained then i'm not going to beat myself up about it um and it's it's really kind of a that's a boon of working on your own personal art practice like i've had periods of my life where i'm doing commissions and stuff like that and you know it's a normal job you don't have a choice. You're going to spend eight hours at your desk in order to get something done because you have to get it done. Um, so, yeah, I usually just follow my nose. And if a piece shows up, a piece shows up. If I'm, you know, having a lot of emotions that day or, you know, there's a really strong pull towards these particular colors or I need to investigate, um, you know, I. I occasionally do yoga. I do not practice yoga, but I do it because I sit at a desk every day. Yeah. And so, you know, I, and this is such an artist thing to do. My foot will be in a specific position and I'll be like, I really like that. I need to write that down. And so I'll have to draw a sketch of my own foot in order to incorporate it in an illustration later, you know, whenever other inspiration hits and I have time to work on it. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty sporadic. It's kind of chaos, but it's very fun. So as you said previously, you keep a sketchbook. <laughs> so what is your sketchbook? What does your sketchbook actually look like? Like in terms of like, is it notes? Is it pictures? Is it like kind of ideas? Is it scraps of paper? It is it is a little bit of everything. Um so it's one part like I do take notes. I take lots of notes. Uh sometimes it's a journal, sometimes I'm writing down you know, something difficult that I'm feeling. I just need to verbally process all that good stuff. Um, very rarely will I write down an illustration idea. Uh, it's usually a place that I go to do um, basically doodles uh, because for a long time, I, I, was, I was taught very specifically throughout the years, keep a sketchbook. doesn't matter if you're into it or not, if you, you know, if you like to draw, you should keep um, something around that you can, you know, just shoot ideas into, put it down, put it away. And it, it lives somewhere beside your brain. Um, it's, it's a vital practice, but I spent a few years sort of just neglecting it. <laughs> 
seriously, just out of laziness. I just didn't want to do it. It was cumbersome, uh, you know, because I, I carry I carry this thing the size of my head in my purse where I go now. But, um, you know, I just I had to get back into the habit of taking it with me basically in every room that I go in. Like if I'm if I'm going to be seated somewhere and just relaxing and like not doing anything, I have to give myself the option to not look at my phone and to yeah. do something that isn't necessarily productive. I never tell myself, oh, this is for work or uh, you haven't processed all the way through this idea from yesterday or whatever. It's just, oh, do you want to draw a fantasy character? Draw a fantasy character. And that's it. You want to draw a dress you want to make, draw the dress. And I usually end up going down um, kind of a rabbit hole. I'll end up producing ideas that I never would have, I never would have pursued. Um, you know, the whole, the werewolf thing every now and then, because so much of what I do is rooted in the natural world and anatomy and things like that, I have to spend time studying it. And I enjoy doing that. It's kind of a nerdy, the nerdy naturalist in me is like, like, oh, I'm going to do a detailed illustration of a butterfly because that's how you treat butterflies. So, you know, I'll study um, animal skulls and people skulls and sort of morph them together and see what happens because that that sort of scientific experimental step-by-step process just really helps me think. So my sketchbook is a wild menagerie of receipts from gas stations on road trips and diary entries and these like terrifying skull studies. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of, it's one of those things that pretty much every art teacher tells you is important. You should be doing it and you don't realize how good it is for you. And, and also like the steps that you need to take personally in order to do it right. You don't realize how vital that is until you're a few years into it. It's basically a project, um, but it's a project about you. It's very personal. It's it's super intuitive. And I think that's what I that's my favorite takeaway from having a sketchbook is it reteaches you every day to follow your gut and to sort of let that that 2 a.m. mindset wake back up and be like, oh, I've just got to, I've just got to try this. You know, it really encourages you to play. So yeah, it's, it's mostly journal entries right now, but uh, you know, there's weird illustrations of, you know, cavemen and things like that. So it's just, it's just, it's a place to have fun. All sketchbooks should be fun. If you're not having fun in your sketchbook, you're doing it wrong. So yeah, super important. <laughs> I think, I just don't know, there's something that really fascinates me about the idea of sketchbooks because it's like, it's almost like your personal history. And then mm-hmm. from that, you draw upon what's going to become bigger paintings or images or imagery. or, or It's kind of like a way for you to decipher yourself through like images, right. text, media. It, I don't know, it's just, there's something about it that feels very, very personal, but at the same time, it's also very like, very eclectic. It kind of speaks a lot about the artist. Like imagine if you had, an exhibition and it was like 10 different artists and all it was with their sketchbooks exhibited and you had to guess which artist was there from there it's like you probably could do that quite easily because you can kind of tell well that'd be a great idea mm-hmm. we should make that happen 
Um, that would be, that would like, be really cool, actually. Because <laughs> I don't know, there's just no about sketchboards because it's not a finished piece. We, we always see finished pieces on social media and we see like, you know, the best of the best. And But sketchbooks are, are kind of like the mind of the artist as opposed yes. to like the finesse of the artist. And I, and I think that's really interesting. To me, for yeah. like, somebody who doesn't have a sketchbook, it's really interesting because it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm that's curious. how this looks. Yeah, have you heard of the? Um, I don't know if they still do it, but there, I think it was called the Sketchbook Project, and I think it was somewhere. It's somewhere in New York City, and it's basically a library full of nothing but sketchbooks. Wow. I know and they have. I'm sure they have an Instagram account because I know there is one that I follow that's literally just art sketchbooks, and I like this is amazing because I love it so much. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so magical. It's like I I want every city to have a a repository of artist sketchbooks like from the local community just people that live near each other and in the same environment and just I mean it it, it makes for such a wonderful um what would you call it maybe a, a, a social study yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something along those veins because yeah you see into the mind of the artist and it's basically the the flavor of everything that goes into your work um it's a wonderful way to sort of distillate everything that goes on in the background it would be really cool to have either a sketchbook swap so you have like a day where people swap sketchbooks and they have to create a page in the sketchbook or have like a sketchbook that gets delivered around the world to different people and they all fill out a page and then when it reaches the end it's like this object that would be really cool that would be delightful and like it has to be completed within a set year so that yeah, so you like got, every day got... like let's just say a page every day Mm -hmm. 65 mm -hmm. pages or something I don't know how possible that is with you know like yeah no idea. <laughs> with like the actual like reach of people but yeah so that'd be really cool and interesting to kind of do there's like how would you choose the mm -hmm. artists and you know where's it going like there's a lot of nuances to that but that'd be really interesting yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that would be a delight <laughs> sketchbook I like that idea actually I'm like, well that's an idea mm -hmm. <laughs> hmm I'm going to think about that. Because one thing I want to do in the yeah. future is create like a coffee table book full of artists' work. It's like a big portfolio. Something that I would love to do in the mm -hmm. future. I think that'd be really nice because uh, stuff like that's just really cool. Like any kind of physical object with art in it is the best. Because it's an archive mm -hmm. for the future. You know, the internet is always around, but it's not accessible in the same way always. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a functional archive that you can touch and hold, make comparisons with. Almost like yeah. a... Um... Like a textbook. Yeah. So how important is that for you to show or document the creative process of your work? Like, do you ever show the failed images? Yes, actually, I do. I love failed images. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, when you say a failed image, um, so I, I will I will post them on Instagram. They'll be their own, their own posts. People can look at them. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. There was an illustration in particular that I was very much not happy with. But I posted it anyway because I basically used it as a color study. It was a sketch that I actually did while out of town on a road trip. And it was one of those drawings that I did not for the purpose of making a good illustration, but more to sort of record or commemorate where I was when I did the drawing. You know, it's 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 not always about making something beautiful and finished and oh yes people are going to want to buy this you know it's it's if you're going to make good work you have to focus on the process 
and not worry about um, is this perfect? Is this sellable? Which I used to do all the time. It was like if if I didn't produce a beautiful finished piece of art this day, I've not done my job. That's just not how it works. Um, that is a great way to burn out, uh, and I did several times until I figured out what I was doing wrong. Um, I chronically overload myself with expectations and deadlines that I want to meet just personally. Like I want this massive painting done by the end of the month. Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of life in between the end of the month and now. And I've had to, I've had to readjust my, my realistic expectations. And part of that has included doing a failed image because they're and this is very optimistic of me. There's no such thing as failure, at least when it comes to to the creative process. Um, yeah, I, I so I, I completed this illustration from the road trip. I used a color scheme that I had not done before. It was all red and green, and I hate it. I think it's so ugly. <laughs> I um I, I liked the colors, but my handling of them, especially in regards to how the color structures the form within the illustration. It was just sloppy. It was clearly not practiced, not very thought out. Um, The actual uh, composition of the body within the box was just kind of contrived, I think. It just, it wasn't good. But it it was so important for me to draw that sitting at my mother-in-law's dining room table uh, to actually talking to her about my art process um, because she was tidbit she she was actually my uh, art history and aesthetics professor oh, so every cool. time we go back home I get to like nerd out it is so much That's fun so cool. I, you know we're at the dining room table and I'm drawing this thing that and I don't know how it's going to turn out because all my materials like my my paints and stuff are back home so I'm drawing out this the form and she's like you know, asking me questions about it. And so this really ugly drawing that I'm not super happy with has got these memories baked into it. It's Mm. got this experience that's beyond a good or bad drawing. And I think a lot of, a lot of artists are just a little too hard on themselves. You know, it's really, and you know, from firsthand experience, it is really hard to give yourself grace. It is it's, it's really difficult. You know yourself, you know what you're capable of on a good day. And so you expect that level of performance on a bad day, but it's just not reasonable, you know? So yeah, I love failed images. I'm not afraid to post them the way I would have been several years ago. It's, you know, it's it's just part of the landscape. You're not gonna, I mean, some people would, um, you know, overturn their landscape and like, you know, scorched earth style you know make it clean and prim and there's a place for that i'm not gonna i'm not crapping on beautifully manicured gardens and stuff like that but there's something to be said about a world that has things in it that aren't perfect because there's always something to be appreciated so i love those yeah. images <laughs> yeah that's it that's it i love the best prayer and it's, it's nice because it's like the image has you know such a memory for you so it's mm-hmm. nice because we don't often think about the artist in the process of making the actual image themselves because obviously art is a very personal um, a very personal endeavor and it's like you're putting you're not just putting your time into it but putting your mind into it as well and it's like you're putting your physical presence into the work because you know 
the amount of you know the, the time you spend on the work is indicative of obviously the work itself so it, i've never actually thought about it in terms of like the memory of the actual making of the work as opposed to just the work itself because we all just see the work and we're like oh this is a beautiful painting or we don't like this or what is this or just see like yeah. abstract work where it can seem a bit unreadable but actually it's not it might just be about the memory and the time that's associated with the work itself as opposed to the actual physicality of what the painting is showing or presenting mm-hmm. um nothing nothing about it. i should probably rethink the way i think about abstract work actually um yeah that's a, that's I, a really good point the way i thought about it like i actually really enjoy abstract work now especially if it's if it's gone through a really <laughs> i want to say a good process hmm. but Whatever that means, um, you know, you can you can tell when abstract work has been through several steves, if you will. Like it's it's been through a certain kind of refinement, and it's because there's experience locked into the surface of the work, and it it shows. You know, it shows when you spend time with something, not just on something, but with it. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I've gotten to a point where I don't really. I don't look at anybody's work and it just is a pretty picture because I can't imagine making artwork today and it not be um, basically a stone tape, Hmm. you know, there's nothing actually written there, but there's something, there's something eerie. There's something that is still a part of that piece of paper that's intangible. And so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting to think about it. But actually, so talking about actually like the creation of the work itself. So a few artists that I spoke to a long time ago and several artists in between have spoken about the idea of loneliness as an artist because you're working, you know, in a studio all day or, or you know, you're sitting by your desk, most possibly by yourself all day. And it's like, how mm-hmm. do you combat? Well, firstly, do you ever get lonely whilst creating work? And secondly, if so, how do you combat that? I do get lonely. It's a very especially these days, it's a very specific kind of loneliness. Um, I've always been pretty introverted. I get I get a lot of energy from being with people and talking to my friends and stuff like that. But I, I always gravitate towards the more introverted activities. I'm pretty happy being in my studio by myself um, until I am hurt or upset or whatever because at the end of the day whether I like it or not I am a verbal processor I need to I gotta I gotta bounce off of somebody somewhere and god bless him it's usually my husband but you know I especially since moving and moving again to the middle of nowhere it's been it's been challenging. Like I, a lot of days I'm, I'm like kind of more willing than not to face my loneliness on my own because I always, I almost always discover something new in that isolation. It's not necessarily a bad thing to me. It is space to breathe. It's space to really ruminate on whatever is happening, whatever is on my mind, whatever has been presented to me throughout the day, I have a chance to process. Um, And I've always done that. When I was a kid, if I was allowed outside, the first thing I would do is run to the tree line and be in the woods for the next, I don't know how many hours, I would just Mm -hmm. disappear. And it was great. 
And I didn't realize how much I was missing that as part of my engagement with the world around me, that that good loneliness, that um, sort of hermit mentality, where it's like, I'm I'm here alone with a purpose. And that purpose makes this loneliness very rich. You know, it's um when you when you get yourself alone, you have a chance to to face your demons, to really chew on stuff. And I, I just can't do that with everybody around me. So some days I, I really miss living in a city. I really miss um, the accessibility of getting a coffee with my friends or something yes. like that. Um, but <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't know that I would trade my isolation for the for the convenience basically of mm. of social yep. life. I think I think the lonely artist lifestyle has always suited me. I think it's always been waiting for me. And uh, now that I have it, I really cherish it. <laughs> I know a lot of people can't do it, but. I feel like not everybody gets the chance yeah, to try I like though. It. I like being left alone. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's also the thing. Like, I think because the idea of like artist retreats that people would love to go on or um, what was that? like residencies and stuff like that, like people would love to do that if they have the time and the access to that. So I think actually I, I really understand what you're saying in terms of like just having the time to be able to sit with yourself first and foremost. And then from that, you can create work because you have a better understanding of yourself. And then, you know, you kind of have time to think about your work. And it's like, it's like you're very much involved in what you do because you don't have to think about, for the most part, the outside world or other stresses and other pressures or driving around the city or all that kind of stuff necessarily. So yeah. mm-hmm. I actually really admire that. And I'm slightly envious of that. But I admire it. I think it's a great way to live and it's, it's <laughs> nice because I feel like we don't think about, because I feel like solitude is super important. Um, maybe just because I'm, I'm kind of introverted. Um, but I think you want like a podcast just, that interviews people. I think you're a little extroverted. It's <laughs> it's weird because I've, I've it's weird. I can't explain to people. I, I try to explain to people, but like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm when I'm around artists or people that I I have got things to talk about. I can be very extroverted. Like you know, I run a podcast, but if you were to meet me in real life, I'd probably just stare at you. <laughs> I'm not that bad, but you know, if I meet you in real life, I, I'm not like. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, let's start a conversation necessarily. Although I'm definitely getting better as I get older. But it's uh, it's weird. Like I used to be extremely introverted when I was younger. So for me, even me doing this is bizarre to me. I've done it for a long time, but like I'm, this is bizarre. But um, anyways, <laughs> I was going to say, um, actually, question for you that I was going to ask you later, but now would be a perfect time, would be the idea of, or the question of, introversion and extroversion. And that is being an artist. So you said that you are more introverted. Like, do you think that plays a role within your work? I think it plays a role in so far as I spend, I, I am more willing to spend a lot of time with my thoughts and my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's actually been really funny this, especially since 2020, there's been this massive wave of everybody go to therapy, everybody, yeah. you know, process whatever it is you're feeling. And it's every now and then it's like, Okay, sometimes you're just having a bad day. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you know emotions and stuff are just a lot, and there's not always a label for what's happening. Hmm. Um, so it's it's been really funny. I've been doing this stuff my whole life because I was an only child, and so that also oh. made me more comfortable. 
really yeah. helped. <laughs> yeah, that would that would absolutely do it. I was an only child and I was the art kid. So, you know, I was, <laughs> it was super awkward. I, I didn't know how to talk to people to begin with. It was terrible. And so that probably fed into my tendency to be okay with uh, introversion as opposed to extroversion. Because the truth is, once, I mean, you see me, once I get in into the right environment, yeah. you know, with shared interests and stuff like that, it's like, boom, yeah. boom, boom, I party all night. This is great. But the thing is, once I'm done being at the party, I'm going to spend the next week by myself <laughs> because, because if I don't recharge, if I'm not left alone, I'll just, you know, I'll be a hot mess. And that's that's how I know that I'm probably more introverted than I am extroverted because I I could not be like the leader of a sorority or something like that. It just, you know, people people will definitely drain me and I will be a hot mess it's terrible <laughs> I mean it's good to know where you stand and also it's good because it helps you create work and it helps you just in your day-to-day life and it's I feel like you know I feel like introversion and extroversion are always like a sliding scale depending on the environment but I feel like you do also it does also allow you to realize you know kind of like what you're interested in doing because it's like you know if you're not like you know if you're introverted you're not going to necessarily go out to a club you're not going to go and party you know, you're going to be like, let's stay at home with a book or let's go to a coffee shop or let's, you know, go to an art gallery, you know? There's, like, places mm-hmm. for you. And it's, like, just finding, it's about figuring out which places are kind of, like, your scene and what is going to be comfortable for you at the end of the day. Yeah. It's a it's a really weird balance. Um, the, the thing that I've noticed with a lot of introverts is we we always... Like, yes, it's good for the process if you're, if you're an artist or you're doing something creative or very heady. Um, but there's a certain degree of of um, self-reliance and hyper-independence that comes with it. Mm. And and I'm positive there's plenty of creatives and artists out there who who suffer the same struggle of I I want to do everything on my own because I know that I can, and then we don't know our limits. Um, oh yeah. You know the the whole extrovert introvert ambivert conversation really. You know, because I've got a, I've got a couple of really good friends who are hardcore extroverts. I mean, terrifyingly energetic, but I love them. They're 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 sweet. They you know they encourage me. They're just good people, and um, so we talk about it a lot. <laughs> and you know, uh, I've noticed in myself that 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 hyper independence is a big part of my willingness to be isolated, my willingness to face my demons, and to do it all by myself. Because if I can't do it on my own, uh, you know, I, I would hate the idea of needing somebody to hold my hand while I do difficult things, you know. Yeah. So the the introversion really dangerously feeds into that sometimes. And I think a lot of artists to have to fight with that. You have to you have to recognize unhealthy habits in that way. And it's very hard because you told my you told yourself. That habit is helping you. That habit is benefiting you, and it's really, it's really draining you and making your life harder. But you're so busy on focusing on productivity and self control that you just you don't even notice it. It's mm. it's crazy. That's interesting. That's super interesting. So go back to your work. Do you create more than one painting at a time? Depends on the week. Um, this week, I most certainly did not do that. Um, 
that's not true actually with these really large pieces <laughs> i i could not i couldn't help myself um trying sometimes especially with the bigger ones i will want to try something and then i won't quite like it it won't be a failed thing it's just all right that's how that one turned out because it's watercolors and <laughs> one of the ways that I sort of comfort myself into being okay with using watercolors, even though I like them, is um, a certain lack of control. Uh, not every brushstroke is going to come out with a, a beautiful, clean texture. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit sloppy, and I can't let that ruin a piece. So the way that I handle that is I'll have another piece of paper, um, and I will often lay washes down during the same day, especially if I'm feeling really uppity and uh, want to make life harder for myself. I, the completionist in me wants to do one piece at a time, but practically speaking, it doesn't often happen. Um, between the call to experiment and try new things um, and just the need to complete pieces to see an idea all the way through, I've started doing more pieces simultaneously. Um, but, you know, earlier in the year, it was my process was very much um, complete this one illustration, like see it all the way through, babysit it all day long if you have to. Um, but the bigger they get, the more I'm forced to be patient and the more yeah. I'm forced to um, implement new habits, basically. So it really depends on the size of the work, I guess, and uh, <laughs> how willing I am to accept my mistakes that day. <laughs> yeah. So how do you know when a piece of work is finished? I don't. Um, a lot of these, I guess I, I guess I could say that I know a piece of work is finished when I look at it and I feel a specific kind of delight looking at it. You know, it's, I see it and my gut reaction is, oh my God, yes, that is delicious. That is wonderful. I like it. And usually I'll let it sit. If I if I get that gut reaction, I've always got to walk away. Um, there's definitely no way to know a piece is finished until you have spent time away from it. Um, and sometimes I'll spend I'll spend a couple weeks away from a piece of paper that I thought might have been finished, but my gut reaction wasn't 100% yes. And so I knew I need to put I have to put it down. Gotta walk away. Um, because there have been plenty of times where it was like, I just really want this finished. I just really want to see it. You know, I, I want it off my plate, basically. And I've, I've, in my mind, I've ruined some pieces by doing that. Um, mm. You really can't, at least for me, you really can't force the process, yeah. uh, especially with imagery and techniques that I'm using. If you get heavy handed in the wrong way, um, you know, it's game over. You can't, you can't quite paint over it you can't read gesso these pieces of paper it's it's you know it it has a certain fragility that calls for the sensitivity um so yeah uh walking away has been a vital part of knowing when things are done um and it is really hard to walk away sometimes <laughs> so yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll put them in a frame and stick them on my wall just so like oh. don't touch it do not touch it leave it alone because I'll, I'll I'll mess with it and I'll go back with pencil and be like, oh, I want to try this. And the next thing I know, I've ruined, I've literally ruined the surface of the paper. 
And that's a really hard one for me to gauge because I'll just get wrapped up in what I'm doing. And <laughs> and I will have chewed through my pencil. There's a nubbin left and uh, the surface of the paper can't accept any more pigment. So it uh, in regards to that, I'm probably at a point where I'm going to have to sort of reconsider the materials I'm using, the paper in favor of, um, I'm not really sure yet, <laughs> something something a little more rigid, but not quite a canvas, maybe a, you know, masonite boards that have been gessoed and things like that. But I, uh, I haven't worked with those materials since high school. So it would be, it would be an all new project. So yeah, we'll see about that. But it's nice that you're thinking about the longevity and also like kind of like the way in which you are going to develop because it's not just about you doing the same thing every single day you want to evolve as an artist you want to try new things experiment see how your work changes how you change you know yeah I I, I would hate to be stagnant I would hate to be a kid who is content with only one lego set no 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 <laughs> I want all other lego sets too so yeah, yeah it's if if you're not willing to try new things, you're you're never going to grow. You're never going to change. So, I mean, for some artists, that's okay though, because some artists don't need to grow and change because they've they've found like that sweet spot which sells. But mm -hmm. then I also do feel like personally, like at a personal level, surely you'd want to be like, let's do this or let's try that. Or it depends, actually, I guess, on why you're creating art. If art is just like a means to an end, or if it's you know a reason for existence. You know, there there are two different reasons, or well, not just the two different reasons, but there are two different parts of one scale on a very long scale um but yeah but i was going to ask you like how has your work changed as you've gotten older oh gosh um night and day um the older i get the more interested i am in um like i've, I've got the skills to do the things that i want so that's it is it's stopped being about worrying about my my technical proficiency. Um, it used to be, wow, I need to do figure studies. I've got to um, work with these reference images because I still can't draw fur, or I don't know how this joint works. I have to go study this bone and things like that. And I would never say, oh, I'm done doing those things. I'm absolutely not. I um, I I have a it's a little bit macabre, but I'm an artist, so it's okay. I have a box of skulls. That's cool. I think that's really cool, <laughs> actually. Of, personally. Of different animals. I've got a possum. I've got. Um, I'm pretty sure. I I love it, and mm. I I love that I live in a place now where I can like pull them out of the box instead of keep them in storage. Because mm. you know, when I was in school and I'm in I'm in the dormitory, uh, my roommates would always be like, "Oh my god." What is that dead thing on your desk? And I would try to explain to them. I was like, oh, yeah, you've got to look at the structure of, of this joint and, you know, check out these feathers. Like, look at the down and how it, like, actually applies underneath. Like, it's beautiful. And they're mortified, of course. Um, God bless my my one-time roommate who put up with me uh, bringing in uh, cicadas. Um, she was not happy about that. <laughs> But, uh, but she let me do it because she understood, um, you know, still my best friend today uh, who let me be weird. Um, but yeah, I, um, I've i got a box of skulls that I pull out and I'll occasionally I'll study them. I've got I've got a couple of deer. I've got, um, you know, it and it's kind of sad. 
you know, I, I see these objects and I think about the thing that used to be alive. Like there was a, there was a dog skeleton that my dad and I found on a hike. Um, wow. And it, it was, it was sad. Like there was the, the trail went under a bridge under an overpass of a highway. So I can only assume that it was hit by a car. Hmm. Um, and it's, I, it, you know, it feels kind of reverent to to notice that it has a fracture above one of its orbital sockets. So it probably had a head injury and that's probably what it succumbed to. But um, yeah, so I'll take those out to study and, you know, every now and then I'll go back to studying. Um, but for the most part, everything is just so off the cuff and it feels really good to be at a place in my artistic process. Um, like. I feel like an adult when it comes to making art. In other ways, not so much. Everything else is still wild, hot mess. But I feel like a grown-up when it comes to art um, because I can finally take the things, take the tools that I've acquired over the decades, and I can just pump out the ideas that I've always wanted to to put into the world. Like these werewolves, they're, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved Halloween. I really did. Um, and I, I grew up in a very... Uh, cons very conservative Christian environment. Oh. So Halloween was kind of iffy, yeah. but nobody said no to it. It's like, if you want to dress up and go get candy, that's fine, but we're not doing anything else. And I was like, all right, you know, truck or treat at the church and stuff like that. So I, I kind of, you know, I put a damper on a lot of those interests. And um, I always wanted to dress up as a werewolf for Halloween because I thought it was cool. I was yeah. like, how wonderfully terrifying is this? The synthesis of beast and man, this is terrifying it's the perfect costume it's easy to make i thought it was cool um and i didn't you know i had all these interests but i didn't really have a way to create them in new ways that really pleased me and today uh you know i've gone from trying to practice illustrating scenes from the chronicles of narnia which was always fun. The Dawn Treader was one of my favorite things to try to illustrate because it just had the most beautiful colors. Um, but I've gone from that to synthesizing my own ideas. Hmm. And that's been, it's been really freeing. It's been really fun. Um, and it's probably the biggest facet of, as far as how things have changed, yeah. you know, it's our process is my own today yeah. in a way that it has never been before. So, See, that's really brilliant, fun. though, because that's exactly what you want. You want to be at a place where you just feel at one with the work and that you feel like you're doing what is natural to you, not what is forced, not what you should be doing or, you know, what you think society tells you you should be doing. It's what you want to do. And the fact that people are receiving it mm -hmm. and they're enjoying it and they're liking it and they're buying it, that's just a bonus at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, you know, in regards to that, if... I was in a place in my life where I couldn't turn this into a business, which is still terrifying hmm. <laughs> and still very hard. Um, I would still probably be drawing things at 2 a.m., hmm. um, you know, for nobody to see, for no one to enjoy but me, um, because because I can, you know. Yeah. It's like you um you you finally learn how to what code you need to make your program do exactly what you want. And you're like, I'm just going to play with it. I'm going to go break some things. And, you know, that that particular kind of freedom is, is you know, it's life-changing. And not everybody has it. I got 
I feel like I've gotten really lucky being able to do that. Um, it just kind of one of those things that just kind of happened, you know. It's lucky, but it's also a product of your hard work. This is the thing. Like I feel like a lot of people are, oh, I'm lucky at being in this situation. It's like, yeah, but it's because you're working on it, which is why it's happening. You know, I feel like if you weren't doing anything towards, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but if, you know, if you weren't doing anything towards creating new work or being interested or kind of even thinking about what you're doing or even, you know, having the inclination to to make it into a business, then it's not going to happen, is it? You know, so yes, it is luck. Definitely, part of it is definitely luck mm-hmm. because I think all artists need some form of luck. But I think it's also hard work as well. I think we shouldn't sweep that under the rug and forget about that because it's not easy. It's like being an artist is so damn hard. It's not easy, even just to make, even to break even, you know, not even to make a profit, not even to make a good living, just to break even. But even just to, even just to create a piece of work, whether people see it or not, the, the you know, the mental mm-hmm. games, the mindset you have to be in, the kind of, you know, self-validation you have to give yourself. It's not easy. You know, so I think, you know, to any artist really, like they're doing a good job and it's about how they're putting in the work. You know, it may not always be rewarded and it may not always seem like it's being rewarded, but it's worth doing. It's, it's the effort you're putting in, you know? Yeah, it's it's a constant struggle <laughs> Yeah. to say, yes, I've done a good job today. Yes, I've sacrificed in order to make this happen and things like that. But, you know, I'm I'm also painfully keenly aware that a lot of the um for the most part i've been able to make my own sacrifices and make my own choices because other people have already done those things ahead of me you know um i was lucky enough to be an only kid i got all of my parents attention Hmm. (laughs) um which also meant that i got to go to school i got to go get a degree for this and you know, I look back on experiences like that and I'm like, I had nothing to do with this. Like, sure, I made A's, but do you have any idea how easy high school is? Because I remember how easy high school was. Um, And I'm not talking about AP bio. That was a different kind of difficult. Um, But, you know, I could still pass school and get A's and get a scholarship and stuff like that. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a big deal at the time. And maybe for some people, it is a massive deal. Some people who have learning disabilities or, you know, just school very well like you know for them that's a huge win for me it was you know here's some opportunities on a silver platter and you know pick one and just go somewhere and just do something and be on your own you know get out from your parents roof it was just you know it was a one-way ticket to you know you have a chance to follow your dreams which is part of the reason why I took it you know my dad sacrificed a lot for me to go to school worked really hard for that so it was like I'm gonna have to give it a shot um so in in that regard it is so easy to be like I didn't do this I didn't imagine ever saying that I did so it's it is really hard to say yes I'm sacrificing yes I'm working hard because for me this is this is the dream it's a little bit masochistic but this is the dream this is this is what I wanted it's you know it's scary and it's difficult but um you know, and I can't remember if my dad said this to me or if I said it to my dad. The hardest things are usually the best things, hmm. almost always. And in a really cruel twist of irony, um, you know, like having kids. Oh my God, it's incredibly difficult in every way, every step of the way. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't equate art to quite being the same thing. 
Um, but it's consciously making sacrifices every day and doing really scary things, letting go of a lot of security, stuff like that. It's like, I don't see that as working hard. I see that as being uh, reckless <laughs> and just being kind of gutsy, um, which, you know, is a skill in and of itself, big time. Yeah. So talking about like the larger scale of art, like, do you feel like you're part of a larger art community? Yes and no. Um, in light of living in sort of uh, an isolated environment, I've got sort of a budding art community in the next town over, you know, but it's an hour away. Again, I can't just hop up and go get a cup of coffee. Living in a big place like this really does have an effect on, you know, whether or not I choose to go get a coffee with somebody. Like I've got somebody who saw um, my pieces that were recently hanging in this next town over. And she was like, really encouraging and passionate about it she was like this is beautiful i want to have an in-person conversation with you about these and i'm like yes of course of course i want to do that but i have to factor in like how far am i going to drive um how much is gasoline going to cost um you know how incredibly busy is downtown going to be on this summertime weekend um because you know the weird thing about arizona is you know Populations are very concentrated. You go where the civic centers are because, you know, there's water um, <laughs> and hospitals and things that will keep you from being, you know, murdered by the landscape. Um, so really, it's a harsh environment. So, you know, it's hard on everything. So really, I've, I've been trying to focus a lot on an online community, um, which is super new for me. I, I've never been really into online communities in general. I you know, I didn't know what a Reddit was until college. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a brand new world for me, figuring out how to navigate that and how to foster relationships because I am, because I'm so introverted, I'm also really reliant on like my favorite methods for communicating with people. Like if we were having this interview with no video, yeah. I would be dying. This would be so hard for me because I couldn't read your face. Yeah, um, exactly. That's I why can't... I said, that's exactly why I said, oh, the, mm -hmm. don't worry about the video because we're not going to have a, nobody will see the video, but if you have your video camera on, it'd be so much easier for me because I've done, inter yeah. I've done a few interviews and the person didn't want to be on camera. And I'm like, that's fine, but it's going to be a bit awkward because I don't know when you're going to finish speaking. You know, exactly. and not just that, I don't it's... understand. I don't know if you're, you're interested, if you're paying attention, if you look bored, if you're doing something else, if you're painting your nails, if you know, you're, you know, you could, <laughs> be, do you could be doing anything else. And I have no idea. So yeah, I don't yeah. agree with that. Hundred agree. Sorry, I'm just yeah. like absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, in regards to like um, keeping up with people on Instagram, like I uh, I told a friend recently, I was like, I've never had internet friends. You mm. know, like I've never had uh, ongoing chats with people who live on the other side of the world um, because I don't know them. I can't see their face. I yeah, you know, I don't know what they sound like. I, I you know can't read them it doesn't feel it doesn't quite feel like real relationships but it feels like a relationship in a very modern sense um there's another person who's somewhere on the other side of the U.S. she's a watercolorist and like we basically just vibe on Instagram chats like we'll just DM each other a meme every now and then I've never spoken to this person you know oh. um so it's it's really hard to figure out like okay 
at what point in this so-called relationship can I say, please give me feedback on this, or I've had a really hard day, or wow, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's really, for me, it's really hard to have those conversations in a remote setting. It's it's yeah. a very, you know, it's sort of like like wanting to experience artwork, but never seeing it in a gallery and never seeing it in person. It's all about communication. It's about relationships. It's about authenticity. And it's really weird and really different to try and do that from my spaceship on a hill somewhere in the desert because nobody can get to me. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's really hard. Um, I It feels like a community, but it is a different community than I've ever really experienced. I think sometimes I feel like an old lady because everything's online and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just have to trust that people are going to meet me halfway sometimes yeah. because like, you know, if nobody responds to the message, then nothing's ever going to come of it. Nothing's ever going to happen. I won't ever talk to anybody. So yeah. it's, it's a really weird situation to be in, um, to live in a, a, a extremely rural area and, kind of kind of cope enjoy my isolation but also coping with uh, a really weird lack of community um it does kind of remind me of gosh I'm trying to think of a good example Gauguin is a really good one you know he he lived on an island and nobody spoke English and he suffered a lot but he created the most incredible work hmm. without a community um and if I remember correctly, he he did go back and forth to Europe. I think he made it back a couple times, but you know he died out there alone. So mm. I don't want that as an artist, and I don't want other artists to want that either, um, yeah. because art is ultimately about communication and community. And I hate it when people shut that down. Um, so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a brave new world with technology involved. Um, the way and the way that we're using it in regards to art, it's kind of, I don't know. It's really strange. I haven't figured it out yet, honestly. <laughs> my advice would be send voice notes. That's my advice. Really? Does that, mm -hmm. does that really help? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> like, because, I, because it's way more personal than text. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear a person's voice, you hear how they feel about a certain thing they're saying, you know, you hear, you hear their voice. That also that gives you a connection to that person. It makes you feel like more personal and more relatable to that person. That's why I send. Yeah. That's why I send you voice messages and I'm, I don't know you. So I send random, technically random artists, strangers on the internet voice messages all the time. What I do is mm -hmm. it's one of the, the few things that I've done. It's actually probably one of the most beneficial things I've done in terms of talking to people and getting kind of because the thing is like if I send you a voice message before we did the podcast, I'm sure you'll be mm -hmm. much more relaxed and kind of knowing what to expect as opposed to if I just sent you texts all the time and you'd be like okay cool you know it's, it's yeah. just for, for me yeah. I've just learned it's more personal and it kind of gives me personally maybe you know good or bad but it gives me the sense of like okay this person wants to spend time actually recording this message because not everybody because I don't know anybody who likes hearing their own voice myself included no um, <laughs> but the fact yeah. that you kind of overcame that hurdle to record yourself talking and send it to me 
Like I find that personally very touching. Maybe it's just me, but um, yeah, that's it my advice. Touching though. Yeah, yeah. I, we we have exactly. Uh, we have a friend, one friend, who seems to do it often, hmm. and he will he will send a voice text, and I thought it was the weirdest thing. I was like, okay, Grandpa, what you can't type, but you know, after after having him do it a few times, I like I kind of get it, like that that I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear my excitement. I want you to hear, yeah. you know, all of my, all of my quirks that come with vocal expression. Yeah. And um, yeah, that actually makes me sort of reconsider some of my feelings about um, in, including my face and videos of myself on yeah. Instagram and on Patreon and stuff like that. Because like you said, nobody likes to hear themselves. Absolutely. I don't like it. Yeah. I hate recordings of my voice. Like, you know, when you get done editing this, yes. don't ask me my opinion or anything. Just just do it. Do what you think is best because I would tell you to burn the tapes. Um, I, <laughs> I don't want to hear this. Um, but it, it does make such a huge difference when you can when you can form that connection. So I I might find myself a little more open to plastering my own face and my own vocals on my account now than I was before, because it really does make a difference. It's very, it's very convincing, you know? I think also with voice notes specifically is that they're very, very immediate and it's, they're just quicker for me. They're quicker. I don't have the amount of people I talk to. Yeah. I don't have the time to type paragraphs of text to people. And also not just that, you can get all of your thoughts out at once in a very, very, very delirious way. But it's kind of also like, yeah, you know, you, it's just like excitement and you think about this and you think about that. And like my voice notes, I have a, a particular artist friend and we send each of the like 40 minute voice notes because like I just kind of go back and forth between different things I'm thinking about. And it's it's kind of like, I don't know, for me, I find it really fun. It's like the probably the easiest way I've, I think I communicate online, which is weird because it's not even, it's weird because it's very more analog than it is online, but it's just easy for me. I don't know. So what has creating art taught you about yourself? Oh, about myself, um, that my sensitivity is not a weakness, for one thing. Um, it, learning, taking the time to learn how to process my own thoughts, um, I don't know, I, I, I feel like I spent a lot of time, you know, college and, and all before my entire life um, up until about five years ago, I thought I knew myself. And that's partly due to being a young person, you know, like it takes time to understand yourself. But going through the process of becoming an artist, developing a style, experimenting, um, really putting myself outside my comfort zone it's probably taught me that I am a massive control freak, um, for better or worse. Sometimes that's very useful. Um, I can, I, I'm, for the most part, I'm very organized. I am good at uh, sort of getting things done. Um, but at the same time, I've had to learn, in order to be able to get stuff done and use that, use that control freakness to my advantage, I've had to learn that I need time to be alone, that isolation 
is an important facet of how I handle life. Um, it's, I've learned that I'm really, how do I put it? I think, I think when you're an artist and you choose to be an artist every day and it becomes a way of life, you become this, this dowsing rod for, um, experiences. Not all of them are good. Um, in sort of a in sort of a really annoying way, I'm always picking up on something, picking up on, you know, strong feelings or this place feels weird or wow, something's really under my skin today. And instead of shoving that down, um, you know, and waiting for it to boil over somewhere else, I've learned that for me personally, it is art making is vital. You know, it's if I wasn't doing this for a living, I'd probably have to do it um, for my mental health. <laughs> yeah. Just so that, you know, it, it, it feels really good to take the intangible that is frustrating and frightening and um, doesn't make sense and just seems like a massive convenience. It feels really good to take that and put it down somewhere in some way, you know? If it's creative writing, if it's a doodle, if it's a full-on painting, um, you know, like great example. If I'm afraid of the future, I'm probably going to watch um, history documentaries, and I'm probably going to hand sew something. Hmm. Um, you know, learning things like that. You know, it feeds into the control freak. It feeds into um, it caters to all these different quirks of my personality in a positive, beneficial way. Um, making art has taught me to pay attention to those things. Um, I think that's made me a better person or at least easier to live with. Um, it, uh, I don't know, creating art has taught me to be more patient with myself and with others. Um, you know, that not everything has to be perfect, that all of your experiences are important, even if they are mundane. Um, yeah, it's just, it's one big eye-opening experience. And I wish that everybody understood that that was the point of making art is to experience and to to dive into the deep end, you know, at least every now and then. It's because it's hard to do and I get why people don't want to do it. <laughs> it's very immersive. See, that's really beautiful. I actually really like the fact that it's taught you a lot of different things in, you know, both personally and also just like artistically. I think that's really the best mm -hmm. thing because it's kind of art changes people. I think we forget that and we don't realize that. Like being a creative and having an outlet and having the ability to be able to create work, it really changes you. Um, sometimes for the better, but well, mostly for the better, sometimes for the worse, but mostly for the better. I think most artists are very, they're just kind of, they're more well-rounded well people because they have, they have like more of a purpose, I think, maybe. Um, I don't know. I think it's always interesting. So I have a question for you from the last artist I interviewed, a very, 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 very cool artist called John Hayward Weddington. And his question for you is, what advice would you give to your younger self about being an artist? <sighs> you know, my poor younger self. <laughs> I've put her through so much. Um, you know, 
I think, I think I would tell her to stop waiting for other people to give her advice. Stop waiting in general to do anything. Um, and it's, it's hard to say, it's hard. Like you, you can't tell your younger self things like that. Because at the end of the day, that person couldn't know because that person is a completely different person from who you are now. There were certain experiences that you had to go through. So I would like to be angry at my younger self, but that's that's literally not reasonable. You know, it could lots of things just couldn't be helped. But I wish that I had been more willing to dive into the deep end like I am now. I wish that I was doing this sooner. I wish that I was pushing harder sooner. Um, I think my advice to her would be to uh, be more rebellious. Honestly, be be a punk, be a be a pain in the butt sometimes, because I was very, I was a really good kid. I was very polite. I was yeah. very obedient. I did my work and I didn't stay out late. You know, I didn't go to house parties. I was so boring. Oh my god, I was oh, so yeah, no. boring. Oh, I um, can definitely relate to that. And I, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. I just I wish that she had she had pushed herself and been a little more reckless. Uh, it would have been a good thing. I wish I'd learned to ride a motorcycle sooner. Um, my mom scared me out of that. <laughs> I I my advice to her. That's a great segue. My advice to her would be to not let other people's fears make her decisions for her um, in every facet of life. That's good advice for people in general. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing about art and art making. And, you know, it's people think it's this secret, difficult, hyper personal. Oh, my God, it's so special and sacred. No, no, no. Art making is is experiencing life. It just. I just so happen to be putting it down on paper and you're not, you know, like, I think, I think all advice to artists is applicable to people who are not artists. Um, They just don't know it. So yeah. Don't let other people's fears influence you. (laughs) That's just really good advice because it's so true. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Like just, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not, I said where I'm going to go into, but yeah, that's just so true. Like I really understand that. And it's, it's just insane how, when you look back, you kind of realize, like, yeah, I could have done this and I could have done that. And but then I do, I, one thing I would like to say is that, like, the fact that you didn't do those things sooner is why you are where you are now. And had you did those things sooner, you wouldn't be where you are now. It, you might have been, I'm sure you might have been in a bad position, but you also might not have been here, you know, in this particular moment in time, doing the yeah. thing you love doing in a situation that you love doing. So it kind of worked out in the end, even if you had to go through a, a bit of fire to get here. Yeah, yeah, which is something that I've had to tell my present self quite a bit is, you know, everything, you know, a lot of people would argue this is not true, but everything happens for a reason. I was just about to say that, Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, timing is everything, and you can't always do everything now. You have to realize, like, there are times for things. Just because you want to do something doesn't mean it's the right time for you to do it. Just because it feels like you might want to do something doesn't mean you should do it. It's, it, yeah, I 100% agree with that. 100% yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I'm very much like that. Always good stuff. 
So do you have a question for the next artist I interview? Mm. Yes, I thought of a really good one this morning. Um, let's see. I thought of it and then I didn't. I was like, oh, yes, that's juicy. And then I didn't write it down. Um, I guess from a very practical standpoint, um, how do you maintain a healthy artistic practice? You know, uh, in regards to um, basically work-life balance, which is something that I, I personally struggle with all the time, have not found an answer, certainly not one that's satisfactory. You know, you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep a night. I get five or six. Same, um, yeah, absolutely. Five yeah. is a good night. You know, you know, and that's terrible for you. There's, there's all of these things that are outside of my art practice that heavily affect it. And I can never seem to find a balance. Um, and everybody's different. Everybody's going to have, um, you know, a different rhythm that helps them create and uh, still be able to eat and keep breathing. But, you know, I would love to hear how other people handle that because most of the time it feels like absolute chaos to me. It's like, oh, you want to eat lunch? Well, you better just check and see what's in the fridge. And if it's just chips and salsa, that's what you're eating. Instead of being responsible in meal planning and stuff like that, because I would much rather get wrapped around the axle in the studio than, you know, in the kitchen or worrying yeah. about whether or not I've swept this week. Yeah. It's this, you know, it's it's a weird balance of practical activities with the the very heady process of making art at all. Um, so yeah, I would just I would love to hear how the next artist handles a work-life balance how do you how do you keep your mind and your spirit healthy amidst all the demands of existence <laughs> so i have a good friend called ryan deed Haas, and we had a conversation a long time ago now probably um in which we spoke about the idea of which is more important the personality of the artist or the skill of the artist personality or the skill i i would immediately argue um the personality Mm. Um, because, you know, it's, what's a, what's a good comparison for that? I think, I think the, the idea of the lonely artist, the idea of the isolated brooding weirdo who lives at the back end of town is silly. I don't think. You know, it's it's not inherently healthy. I think um, I think if you're going to choose to be an artist, you have to be willing to accept the fact that you are um, you are a massive part of a community that you may or may not understand. And so, as far as personality goes. You have to be willing to participate. You have to be willing to communicate to a certain extent. You have to, you know, like you can have an agent that handles all the little stuff for you and handles boring conversations for you. That's that's part of it, especially if you're a very big artist. You need that. I get that. It's not about that. It's about um, are you, you know, are you willing to expose yourself? pretty much because art is personal art is personal and visual at the same time and 
that has nothing to do with your technical skill. I think a lot of, I think people who make really good artists are people who um, are willing to be a part of the synthesis and the creation of conversations around artwork. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room. Matter of fact, I would discourage that. But it is incredibly vital to be willing, to be a willing player, because you you live you live in a world that is um, very social, and you cannot get away from that. In a very ancient sense, artists have always been sort of the mouthpiece of the people. A lot of things that we know about ancient cultures come from the creatives. They come from people who were carving or were, you know, um, making a handprint on a cave wall or something like that. Uh, we wouldn't know anything about these people if they didn't futz around and say, hey, come play with this iron oxide I just found, you know? And that boils down to personality, not skills so much. And I don't want to crap on people who aren't extroverted. It's not about being introverted or extroverted. It's just about understanding your role as an artist in your community um, and skill can just be thrown out the window. You can be a collage artist who's really good with an exacto knife, but you can't draw a circle, mm. you know, and you're still um, filtering and processing the world around you and the people that you experience and, um, you know, world events and things like that. That has nothing to do with skill. It has to do with, a willingness to participate, a willingness to try new things, to experiment, and to, um, you know, to let other people see it, at least sometimes. And even if you don't let other people see it, you're still, um, you're still the equivalent of that lonely monk somewhere in the north of England, uh, you know, illustrating a manuscript. Nobody's ever going to meet that monk. We don't know the names of many of these people who created these works, but they've had a global impact because they were there to translate the atmosphere of the time onto paper to a certain extent. Um, and they were willing to do that. Many of them were very skilled. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, of course. I can't downplay that, but they were, they were willing to put in the time and to be a part of that community. So I would say that skill is, Skill is a useful tool, but um, who you choose to be in using that skill is, at least to me, massively more important than whether or not you're a master of your craft. So that's nicely said. That's very nicely said. And do you think that anyone could be an artist? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't. I. It drives me crazy when people are like, "I can't draw." I'm like, "You haven't tried." I can't. Um, I can't rebuild an engine. But I'm actually trying to do that this summer. I'm not doing a very good job. Um, good idea. I, uh, I ruined a carburetor bowl uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm not really sure how to handle it. But I'm trying. You know, it's, um, of course, I mean, I, I'm not going to be a mechanic overnight. But if you, you know, especially when it comes to the creative field, everybody has a touch of that, that 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 part of humanity that wants to process the world around us. Um, again, 
cavemen painting their hands on walls. Yeah. Not particularly skillful. Um, you know, uh, they, they their skill probably went into processing the pigment just to make the handprint. Um, and they didn't have time or resources for anything else. And I'm sure there's some people who would say, that's not really art. That's not really, you know, nobody would hang that in a museum. I would, because there is an incredibly unique experience now locked in that stone wall. That looks like art to me. It feels like art. And so in that way, yeah, anybody can be an artist. Um, it just depends on whether or not you're willing to process the world around you into physical means. So, yeah. Yeah. It's universal. So in your opinion, what does it mean to be a successful artist? It depends on what you want out of it. Um, what does it mean to be a successful woodworker? What does it mean to be a successful accountant? Um, do you want to make a certain amount of money every year? Do you want to be in the Met? Do you um, do you want to tell the richest people in the world how to invest their money? Like, success is such a moldable concept that I don't think you can really nail it down um, unless it's for you personally. So for me personally, a successful artist is somebody who doesn't stop, you know, and I, for the most part, that's really all it boils down to. Are you willing to keep showing up? Are you willing to keep are you willing to be here and keep experiencing what's around you, whether or not it's happy, whether or not it's easy? Um, to me, that's success, is that you kept showing up every day. And at the end of your lifetime, however long or short it is, you will have a, a record of your existence. And for me, that's that would be pretty successful. At the end of the lifetime, art is as good as normal ephemera. Uh, it's it's still just kind of pretty pictures, but like it's such a it's such a weird thing uh, to place value on art beyond the monetary, because it totally alters your idea of success. Like, of course, I want to make money off my art. I would like to eat. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That'd I would like helpful. to pay rent. You know, it it helps with things. Um, you can't make art if you're dead. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, success to me spans beyond today. Uh, success would be a lifetime of investment um, because I, I think there is something eternally and perpetually valuable about how much time is spent in a place or on a project experiencing things. I think, you know, because time is one of our... It, it so is a lot of the work is like one of the most valuable non-renewable resources you cannot get it back um we exist in this one frame of existence you can't go forward you can't go back this is the present you are here um and it's terrifying but if you know all of those moments are added up and poured into something you have a record of all of that time and i i feel like there's something incredibly valuable in that and you know, the more time you have the opportunity, you have the blessing to keep pouring into something in particular, 
that is personal and interpretive, that's success to me. Um, you know, if you spend a lifetime carving some ridiculously massive um, headboard, but it took a lifetime to do it, that thing is inherently incredibly valuable. Um, so I think I think success lies somewhere in there, uh, not necessarily making it into museums or, um, you know, being some some big shot with lots of opinions that everybody wants to hear, um, because one day nobody's going to remember you. And mm -hmm. what will have been the point? So, you know, success as an artist is extremely. Very meta, very existential for me. Um, yeah. Money just doesn't cut it. Money's, money is a tool. Money is nice to have. But it's, I just couldn't do this if it was about money. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the second to last question is, what would, the, what would your younger self think about your work? Mm. Um, I think she would love it. <laughs> I think she, I think she would be delighted to see um, the product of so many years of experiences. Um, so many of them not good. So many of them uh, hard to swallow. I think she would be, she would be relieved to know that when she prayed for wisdom and understanding, when she was hoping for something bigger and more meaningful, that she found it, um, that it found her, that she was met with something that sort of made up for all of the things that were uncomfortable or that hurt. But um, yeah, I think she, I think she would be delighted. I think she'd be really surprised. It's like, wow, you actually, you actually did that. Um, and it's not an oil painting, like you're doing watercolors. I thought that we quit doing that. Um, yeah, I think she'd be really pleased, bewildered, but pleased. <laughs> that's perfect. That's really yeah. sweet. That's, it's, that's such an interesting question to ask people because I could always see people think about themselves when they're younger, when they say, when they answer. So I think it's really cool, actually. It's really cool. It's nice. It's a nice, it's quite reflective. I like that. So the very last question, which would be, I'm sure you'd be very happy to know is still a very question <laughs> which is what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work uh currently i am working on um uh, large-scale versions of my original work uh the 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 body of paintings that i've been calling uh kinocephali uh is getting larger and i'm, I'm very excited i'm i'm branching out into new materials um I'm working on uh, having a Patreon set up, which is very exciting. I've never done it before. Um, and, and I really hope that that becomes a platform for community, for people who like what I do and want to talk about it and, and want to get some free stuff because um, I am a little goblin and I love uh, stickers and I love bookmarks and small, really pretty pieces of paper. Um, so that's that's kind of... Between the really big paintings and building a, a community on Patreon, I'm very wrapped around the axle with both of those right now. So, yeah, um, yeah if people want to find out more and like make connections. The Patreon is a great place to go. Um, it's brand new, and I'm I'm actually 
currently running a poll looking for suggestions for what people would like to have in their mailbox or their inbox, because um, I want to give people the things that they like. Um, and Instagram is also a great place. I post pretty much every day. I don't post on weekends because I don't want to lose my mind, but uh, I'm, for better or worse, I'm pretty much always on there. And I, uh, I love hearing from people. I love getting feedback. Um, I, uh, I, I haven't advertised it as much as I probably should, but I love difficult conversations. Um, yeah. I would love for people to be comfortable reaching out to me to be like, why are the werewolves naked? Or, you know, why don't you change up your color palette? You know, just anything, yeah. ask anything. So, um, yeah, find me on Patreon, Instagram, and uh, my email inbox is always open. So, yeah. Faden, thank you so much for doing this and for being here and for your time. I really appreciate it a lot. Likewise, thank you so much for reaching out to me. That concludes the second part of my conversation with artist Raylan Harris. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me a message at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or get in touch via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruitbowl podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube and Apple Music or whatever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing, or subscribing on any of those platforms to help spread the word. Also, don't forget to check out theflyingfruitbowl.co.uk for daily art inspiration. And if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. If you'd like to support the platform further, we also have a Patreon page. Tears start for £1, and more information can be found over at patreon.com forward slash theflyingfruitbowl. If monthly donations are not your thing, we also have PayPal for one-time donations. I'll include a link to our PayPal in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to the episode today. Until next time, folks, please stay safe.